0: There's a huge amount of diversity in the Reiki community. And here at the Reiki Cafe, we love to honor whatever your background is (laughs) and really try to help you understand um, the differences and how, if there is educational gaps, we wanna help you fill those. So um, I am joined today with Bruce Taylor. So this is gonna be a conversation chat. Um, with both of us, Bruce, do you mind just kind of starting us off and letting people know a little bit about yourself and your background and absolutely. while I'm over here doing some of the techie stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my name is Bruce Taylor. I'm a Reiki master practitioner and healer. I've been working with Reiki since about 2006. Um, uh, it's now my full-time professional career. Uh, I'm currently now living in France outside of Bordeaux and, uh, Prior to that, I was living in Hong Kong, working at the Vitality Center, which is the, the, the premier um, holistic health and Chinese medicine facility uh, in Hong Kong. It's the oldest, that's for sure. And um, my training has been global. Most recently, I've done private uh, trainings with Hakuton Inomoto uh, in Kyoto. Uh, so with Komyo Reikido, so I'm also working with Komyo Reiki Do uh, and working with Hakutong with, with his teachings. Um, they're not fully incorporated into mine at this stage. So my teachings are more kind of a conglomeration of my entire background with Reiki. I also manage the Usui Reiki Ryoho Facebook page, uh, which is dedicated to the traditional practice of Usui Reiki Ryoho, which is the hands-on healing method first uh, taught or discussed by Mike Usui. So if you want to think about that as like the traditional lineage, which many people have probably studied, that's what that group covers. And I'm working okay. with Christine and I've got my, so I'm one like of Reiki teachers with Christine at uh, Reiki Cafe, um, and then also doing my stuff with rootsoflife.org. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a little bit about me.
0: Yay. Thank you so much for being here. So I absolutely love working with Bruce. We have been working together. Um, co-teaching in some capacity for the last few years. And I feel like we're the yin yang, we're the east-west, we're the, you know, and we both really honor and respect each other's past, our lineages, and know and see that both destinies go to the same place. So my own personal background with Reiki is um contrast. Um, I was Taught level one and two in Alaska while I was training at a birth center, and it was, you know, quote unquote, a sui reiki, which was totally fine. Um, I studied out of Diane Stein's uh, essential reiki book, and this was back in 2002. It's not like we had, uh, even William Lee Ramiels didn't have as much content as it does today. So like I was kind of just um, here, read this manual, take this couple hour class, here you go. And so I did my level one and two that way by um, one of the my co-midwifery students and got a um, study right along with her for a couple of months. And then she left where I was studying and I was kind of then on my own. A couple years moved into the future. I took my Reiki master's. When looking back, I was like, I needed Reiki sessions. I needed some actual healing work. And instead of like, I just need the Reiki masters. And so my Reiki masters was a like three hour class and attunement. And then my Reiki master took off and left town and never saw her again, never heard from her again. And And I was like,
1: there you go. Now you're, now you can heal. Good job.
0: Yeah. It was pretty like, uh, what the heck just happened? Um, I was totally out of my body. I had a migraine for like two days and it was like, uh, that was really intense. And now I have no idea what to do. Um, so I kind of have then dedicated my adult, like my like adult Reiki practice. Like once I healed from that and like actually started learning, I studied a lot on my own. I started uh, picking up mantles where I could, um, I started really my the basis of what I learned was directly from my Reiki guides. They would teach me things like goshagashou, and they would I didn't know what name it was, but then it would like come out in the Reiki Max magazine like a year later. I was like, oh, I've been doing that for last year. So I did a lot of meditative work and really developed my clear audience and my clairvoyance so that I could work directly with my Reiki guides. And then when I started seeing clients, they just told me. This is where you need to put your hands. So I just learned how to become a very clear conduit and not get in my own way. And that was awesome. But that's not your typical Reiki training. (laughs) Like that's not usually how that works. So I have a very unique path and I recognize that. And so when I started teaching I became really committed to my students. I love, love, love teaching. It is absolutely my passion to support Reiki practitioners, especially the ones that didn't get optimal training and they need support. So I love having conversations with Reiki practitioners, with supporting Reiki practitioners, and is am hugely committed to reiki education and that's why at the reiki cafe university we don't just have me it's like i want to bring in bruce sometimes i'll bring in other air, other um, experts in certain lineages but for the most part in any of our reiki cafe university classes you're going to get a touch of both bruce and i and the reason why we do that is because he is a wealth of knowledge from the eastern tradition as well as the western tradition and i have my own take and way of doing things from my own practice and so we get a mix of both worlds and it's a beautiful collaboration and i love 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 it so
1: there's a lot of times that people are uh, like i hear this quite often that um you know first off reiki and, and it's it's practice of connecting to your own energy the infinite energy within all of us like That is, that doesn't have to have a label or a name. And one thing that we've been discussing, both at the Reiki Cafe and I get this sometimes on the URR page, is that one lineage has to be stronger than another. One, you know, like one attunement is better or worse or whatever. And you know, all of these paths converge to the same destination at the end of the day. You can call that whatever you wish. And like Christina's saying, I mean, like you know for me the hallmark of the practice is to to remove the i to remove the idea of the ego or the self and I, and that's not unique to me many of you are probably uh, exploring or or well understanding the same idea um, But but is mentioning like maybe some people's trainings were you know not up to speed or whatever i've had many i've heard many teachers talk about this like oh, you've now found the right path. You're in the right lineage of Reiki. It's the most powerful way or whatever. And it's, uh, you know, we want to make sure that, yeah, we want, we're, we're giving both of our perspectives here because we want to make sure that everybody who is with us is confident and strong on their own path, but also understanding that, you know, we're not, um, we're potentially holding clients in a space of healing where if that's misguided, by no fault of our own we can end up doing harm as well and that's you know this is that's a big conversation to have but i mean it's an important one to stay grounded stay neutral stay you know unbiased and then just let the energy flow for the greatest good
0: yes absolutely and i just want to honor all of you who have come from your own backgrounds and your own um training all over the world here today so you know this I love this because we really are coming from so many different places and I love having this collaborative conversation. And so thank you all for joining with us today for this conversation. Um, But one of the things that came up recently is I kind of want to have a conversation of where the East and West lineages came from because I find this really interesting and a lot of people don't understand because I think this is where people just assume that there is only one Reiki and it's, and I'm like, actually that's Western. There's, there's this thing happening in Japan that still is happening there. (laughs) And a lot of us who were trained in the Takata lineage um, really have a disconnect of what, what's still happening in, uh, in Japan. So because Bruce, you have been and taught and trained in Japan with the Gokai, can you give us a little background on what, what, like, I want to know Reiki culture shock, like, what were the things that really like stood out to you, um, walking into their trainings? And then we can just have a conversation of how we kind of come, came to today of how, how these all these different practices showed up.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, just to be clear, I haven't trained with the Gokai. the Gokai is, uh, if nobody's, if that's not a familiar term to you, the Gokai is a uh, it's like the Reiki organization or the, for a lack of a better way to put it, it's like the institute that maintains the initial teachings of um, Usui Sensei. And they publish a little book uh, with the guiding principles and everything of the Gokai. And, and um, it is a private group. Um, there are some Westerners that are involved in that. Justin Stein, who's in the URR group as part is, I think he's the historian for the Gokai. Um, I'm not a part of it. I've never met anybody in person except for Hakutan Inamoto, who was my most recent teacher, um, who is also a member of the Gakkai. Um, but what I will say with what I really appreciated in my time in, in Kyoto when I was studying Reiki and participating with uh, Komio Reiki Do and, and my background on it was the conversation that came out of it. Um, I really appreciated that a lot of the things that we believe that or maybe you've been taught in your trainings from your teachers or whatever, a lot of these things are unsubstantiated or they are myths. And so I'll start with the kind of general story of of Usui sensei. Now we know that Usui sensei existed, of course. We know the historical uh, context of where he was from and what his family did and these types of things. Quite often, and if you look at some of your manuals, it might even say that he was a doctor And there's no actual physical evidence of him being a doctor at least none that i'm aware of none that justin is aware of and none that hakutan is aware of now and everything that i say here let me let me put that context on it i'm not saying that it's true or not i'm just saying that the people who have access to this information aren't seeing any clear evidence of these things so there's also the story of course of him going on to mount kurama uh, and fasting for 21 days, and then receiving the divine intervention of Chokure, uh, the empowerment symbol from you know from uh, Shodan, not sorry from Okudon, uh, the level two for Usui Reiki Ryoho. Now again, is that fact or fiction? We're not really sure. We know that there was somebody named Mike Usui. Uh, did he spend time meditating and fasting like he's like is purported on Mount Kurama? That's unsubstantiated, and you know, what I'm saying here might sound negative. It might sound like I'm actually decrying what Reiki talks about. And for me, I actually find a lot of positivity in that. I find a lot of beauty in that. If you think about any of the stories with any major religion, all of these things are unsubstantiated because in my mind, the story is a metaphor for in reality, what we already have within us, which is Reiki, which is the energy, right? And so you know, if this is something that somebody had to learn by meditating and fasting for 21 days on Mount Kurama, and then they got divine intervention, well, then that automatically separates Usui Sensei from everybody else. That puts him up higher than all of us. And indeed, Reiki, by its definition, by the term itself, is universal energy. It flows through all living beings. So the fact that these things are kind of unsubstantiated, or, or in, in many ways, myths, gives us the idea or, or kind of the context to step into that space. Just like in Buddhism that, you know, everybody is the Buddha, or just like in Christianity it talks quite often about the Christ consciousness within all of us. You know, it's not like, it's not like there's somebody up on a mountain and we have to just sit there and be completely, you know, at, on our knees and grovel. And hopefully maybe we'll get some sort of enlightenment. This is a, a path that we can all follow. And I really find a lot of beauty in that. Uh, And so, you know, hearing all of these things and and discussing the space of Reiki in Kyoto was starting with these things, it was almost like if this is a myth, if this is a story that is fabricated, I don't mean again, I don't mean that in a negative way, but if this is a historical story, uh, that is that exists, and we follow that story to find something deeper about ourselves, a truth that is deeper within ourselves, then Therein lies the actual truth, right? And, you know, I I find quite often how uh, if you are studying Usui Reiki Ryoho, this is something that I found really beautiful as well. Usui Reiki Ryoho, that translates into the hands-on healing method that was first brought by Mikio Usui. So even his first students were calling it Usui Reiki Ryoho. And I really love that because they weren't saying something like, Oh, now I'm doing this thing. Like I have c- control or ownership over this thing. They were simply saying, we're practicing something that was brought to us by Usui sensei and see that further separates the I from the practice, you know? So when we say we're Reiki masters or whatever, we have to be conscious of like, well, what is that word? I mean, master is a very loaded term. It's very quick that it can put us above everybody else. And how could we possibly be above everybody else when we're talking about working with the energy that literally creates all living and non living beings? That separation doesn't make any sense. And I find that that line of thought is so steeped in the Japanese tradition. You know, in Kyoto, this is the got Mount Kurama, and then you have Mount Hiai, and, and on Mount Hiai in particular two mountains that are, if you've been to Kyoto, you know what I'm talking about, but these are two mountains that are right outside of, of Kyoto. And so many different lineages of Buddhism have their, their foundational roots on these mountains, you know, and so it's steeped in Buddhist tradition and to oversimplify everything grossly oversimplify everything. I really appreciate that the, uh, you know, some of the tenets of Buddhism is to just sit and observe like Zen, for instance, when you just sit in Zazen, you are just sitting in observation of whatever may come. And when you practice Usui Reiki Ryoho, or when you are diving into that space, you're simply observing the connection to that energy. You're simply allowing it to exist. You're not worried about sending it somewhere or healing people or the response, the feedback that comes, because all of that gives space for the eye. You're simply holding space. Now, from some of the records from the Gakkai, they're talking that Usui Sensei would sit with the initial students and if they were uh, spiritually or I guess I could say maybe emotionally adept enough where they could sit and hold space, then their Reiki practice was quite simply just sitting. There was no, there's no need for the hands. There's no need for the symbols. There's no need for the mantras. There's, because if you can separate fully, then you just are Reiki. You just are the flow of Reiki. So then the discussion very quickly became like, well, then why do we use the symbols? Why do we have the precepts? Why do we chant the precepts in Japanese maybe, for instance? Or why do we do you know, the, the meditations, you know, like joshin kyoku ho or Shishin tiyotsu or whatever? Why are we doing these things? And that's because we are simply trying to get the body and the mind into a state of equilibrium and balance. So there's neutrality, so the energy flows. And the last thing that I wanna say, what I really appreciated uh, in, when I was working with, with Hakutan at the uh, Reiki gatherings on the Monday the Monday evening, Reiki gatherings in Kyoto, everybody in the audience w- or the, you know, like if we were all there, for instance, we would sit and everybody receives Reiju the attunement. And, you know, from a Western perspective, it's almost like, oh, you've got your Okudan attunement. So now you're at level two and that's it. It's one and done. But in Japan, you do attunements all the time, like every day, if you want to. and. Here's what I really loved about it. We would sit in gasha, and we would sit in that space and just sit with our eyes closed. And the Shihan's, the teachers for Komyo Reiki Do would be, a, a group of them anyways, would be in the front of the room. All of our eyes are closed, so we have no idea who is giving us the attunement. And that's specifically to pull out the idea that, like, let's assume all of us here are Reiki masters, Right. And we have a whole crowd of people now, because Christine and I are leading this, this talk, the crowd of people might be like, oh, my God, I really want an attunement for Bruce and Christine, because that's going to be so much more powerful. That's completely ridiculous. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And it's just more space for the ego to come into that place. So all of that diving into it. And then, of course, this would be another conversation. But like the symbolism in the symbols, like Sehiki, for instance, is... Uh, the, you know, you can see if you go to Mount Kurama, you can see Sehiki and all of the symbols of the temples, even though they have nothing to do with Buddhism, because they're talking about the Bodhisattva of the natural world and the connection to the flow. And of course, Sehiki means balance and like the natural world is in balance. So there's all of this steeped mysticism and meaning behind it, which I find really, really beautiful and really fascinating.
0: Yeah, um, I'm... I'm, I think what I love about this conversation is it really helps us look at the hierarchy of Reiki and how it's come in the West of like, my Reiki is better than your Reiki. We've had quite a few of those conversations in the Reiki Cafe community recently. And th- and I love that point. Like there in Japan, you're amongst a crowd and you don't know who's giving you your attunement. But at, whoever is doing it, they're just the open channel for Reiki and that moment for you. It's about the spirit connection and not the name of the person tied to it, and so I just find that absolutely beautiful. And um, I, I see well, and I feel like, and it just goes to show like ego comes into play so often, especially in Western culture, <laughs> in particular, because and that's where the master term came from. It wasn't something that was shimpaitan was shimpaitan. It's not, I'm assuming it doesn't translate directly to master. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, um, and I see this all the time and I have to talk to my students, especially my Reiki students about just because you're a master, like this is the title doesn't mean that it's an appropriate title. (laughs) It's just the one that's recognized in the States.
1: (laughs) And going even further to that, like for Shinpiden, the the master level of Usui Reiki Ryoho, that wasn't, as far as records are showing, that didn't even initially exist. Mm -hmm. So this was uh, two or three uh, teachers post Mike Usui who then came up with the Shinpiden level. So, you know, this is another, that's a whole nother discussion to be having. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, and I've always was curious because I hear one thing and then I hear something else. And it's like, I constantly now I'm like, I'm at either asking Bruce or want to go run into Justin Stein be like, is this even close to accurate? Like, where did this come from? Um, because I'm a huge believer and I want to know the history. I want to know why I came to this point in this time. And um we have to look at it from different perspectives. So it's like, even if one Reiki master wrote a book on the Reiki history, we should be looking at multiple different perspectives to make sure that we have a clear understanding. It's not just from one vantage point. Um, And I think that's why, you know, the Reiki community in general has been so blessed by Justin Stein stepping forward and really doing the research and um, on the history, like, that's huge. We'd, I'd love to have him on one of these days for sure. Um,
1: Let me but- say something to that really quickly. That, that's, you know, because all of you here might have different backgrounds. And when I was working at the Vitality Center, you know, and, and working alongside very, very well-known uh, Chinese medicine doctors, it was really interesting to hear their take on the movement of chi. See, like in China and in Japan and in the East and stuff, like illnesses are understood to be just a stagnation of chi. So for me to go to a place like the Vitality Center, and when I did my interview uh, to be there, I was the only Reiki practitioner that they've had. And to get that position, um, they were very quickly like, okay, so you're, 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 we don't know what Reiki is, it's a Japanese thing, right? And so they had no idea. And I was like, yeah, it's moving chi through the body and it's helping to whatever. So we dived into it like that. And then all of a sudden it was clicking like, oh, okay, so if you can do that then, work with the clients, you know, how does that chi move? What do you know about these things? And why I'm bringing all this up is because what Christine was saying, like not only is there different lineages within Reiki, but if we can start to see that Tai Chi and Qigong and acupuncture and Kung Fu and meditation and breath work and all these other things that are also working on the inner inner systems of the body to move chi through the body, then we're also performing a similar version of healing. It doesn't matter what you call it. We're just moving chi through the body. So I'm saying that here, not we're all Reiki practitioners or at least have an interest in Reiki, but you might have a side interest in Tai Chi or yoga or whatever and realize that those are connected. They're not separate entities, right? And even with Reiki itself, we trace Reiki back to Japan but that's not where hands-on healing with the movement of energy was first being discussed. There's evidence of this two or 3,000 years ago um, coming out of the yogis in, in the Himalayas and in India, two or 3,000 years might be an exaggeration. I don't know the exact date, but well before Mike Usui's time anyways. So it's like, well, so if he didn't create it, then who did? But well, that's an irrelevant statement. You know, we don't have to get lost in that nuance. So I'm only saying all that because wherever your diverse backgrounds are also coming from, like I teach meditation and breath work and yoga and everything else. When I teach all of that for my clients and everything, it's all interwoven because it's the same story, just in a different context.
0: Exactly. It's like talking about chakras. Well, the Incas and the Mayans understood chakras too. It's just called a different, a different name. And so we have a lot of these different different healing modalities all over the world but our goal is typically the same place of coming into balance body mind and spirit and be able to connect to our inner source wisdom and an external source wisdom and so this reiki is just a beautiful way to heal our stagnant chi, chai chi not chai i love chai but not what i mean um and just really help bring in this balance because i feel like when we can heal ourselves then we can overflow in abundance to others when we heal ourselves we're healing a collective history of memories that are st- causing us to struggle as a society so always coming back to an inter- internal source of healing first so that then we can can we can see clients and when we see clients we're not letting our ego or our you know i self get in the way of the client um and we want to or getting in the way of the flow of the chi to the client yeah it's it's very interesting how you know how the term master got used and you know i always go back to you know takata needed a title to be respected as a japanese american And I think that's really when it started coming and calling herself a grandmaster. I'm not only a master, I'm the grandmaster. Like that was not a term used, but when we can see going, oh, I can under, I can put myself in her shoes and go, I I can see why she did that being a Japanese American living in Hawaii post-World War II and not even starting to teach until 1970 when she got trained in the early 1940s. So I find all of these these um, pieces of information, when I can understand and respect where the history is coming from, I can look at my own practice and go, how do I want to move forward? How do I want to teach? How do I want to move the lineage forward in a healthy way? And for me, like, I don't know what my my lineage is. Like, I wasn't taught that. My class was literally three hours. (laughs) I ended up getting a reattunement in 2010, just so I'd be like, okay, so how do you do that Reiki attunement thing again? Like I can't pick it up from these books, you know, I want to see it. And so, but for the most part, it was like, I took this puzzle pieces and I put them all together and kind of figured it out for myself, but I've always been open to learning. I've always been open and seeking um, other Reiki masters, other teachers. And we started the Reiki cafe community Facebook group back in 2016, just to have a safe container for what originally was like, here's for my students. Like I can then teach them and we can collaborate. And then more and more students and Reiki masters came into that space. And it's a, it is meant to be a collaborative, supportive community where we're not judging one another for different titles and different backgrounds and lineages where there's respect going, I no matter where you're coming from, you're here to learn and that's okay and, and um, embraced that you're seeking. And so I'm so appreciative of everyone here who's still seeking, even if you have the title master behind your name.
1: One thing, Christine, before you come on to the next question that I was seeing firsthand with the, and many of you are Reiki masters, maybe a lot of you are practitioners, maybe a lot of you see clients. So I want to suggest something that might sound a little, uh, a little bit controversial at first, but just hear me out, hear me out where I'm going on this. So where I was working previously, the Vitality Center, this was a proper medical clinic, right? So it wasn't like a holistic center or whatever. I mean, people were coming in with, with I mean, it was a holistic health center, but it was treated in China as a, as a like a medical clinic. So there's, there's proper doctors work from a Western perspective, proper doctors working there and things. And what I would suggest is that when people came to me to see me for Reiki, and the Chinese medicine doctors would say things like, oh yeah, he's got all this energy, he can do this, he can do that or whatever. They're creating a a space where that individual can feel more comfortable about that experience, okay? So when you hear something, you know, like if you are a Reiki master, you might have somebody who is coming into your clinic or to come and see you as as a client who is really skeptical of Reiki, who is really skeptical of energy, they don't believe in it at all or whatever, and they might need to find comfort in your lineage or your title or these grandiose statements or whatever. Because at the end of the day, that's the exact same thing as like the trust that we put into doctors, right? We put trust into titles all the time. Oh my God, you're, you're, you're a PhD, wow. Okay, well, whatever you say now, I'm gonna believe. There's, but there's power in that space, right? Because Reiki, what Reiki is doing from a Eastern perspective, all Reiki is an internal discussion. There's no external. So like the internal then becomes, or sorry, the external world becomes reflective of my internal environment. It's not the other way around. So when I have a session with somebody, I'm holding space to calm my internal environment. So in a way, what I'm trying to do is cultivate a space that the client can also calm and quiet their internal environment. So a deeper truth about their own suffering can manifest itself. And what I want to suggest, and why I'm saying this might sound a little bit controversial, is maybe for some people they need to see these titles they need to see these things to just be like oh my god i've heard about you you're the guy that studied in japan wow that's okay i'm in really good hands really what they're really saying is i trust you enough i'm going to let go that much further and something deeper is then going to come out and there's no doubt about that That's that's a very serious uh and very honorable thing space to hold in many ways because if you can't create that space or that, that framework around a session, then people with a lot of resistance might not get anything out of it, you know? Yeah. And so there is value to that, but also we have to make certain that we are not falling into that title or falling into the space of like, I have this and you don't, and I have, because that's, then you're not serving yourself and then you're obviously not serving anybody else, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Just the nature of being at the vitality center, the people who came in were already open to it because it's, it was such a prestigious place. So everybody there was like, wow, okay. So we're in good hands now, you know, and, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm saying that creating that space allows people that much more We all know this. I think you all know what I'm talking about. I'm going to belabor this point. If you have something wrong with you, you want to go to the best doctors that you can find, right? Why? Mo, maybe because you're creating an understanding or a tangent moving forward with your energy that you're already healing because you're putting yourself in the hand, in the best hands possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So we can't negate that.
0: Well, and you know what that reminded me of is, is, um, my first Reiki attunement that I gave my first class, my first student, I was sure I messed up that I didn't do it right. That I must've got that level two Reiki symbol wrong. Whatever it was, like my first student. And I'm like, I have no idea if I did that right. And I never, and we did a barter. She made me a beautiful hand knit sweater um, in exchange for her first class. And she was just trusting that, you know, it was going to happen. And since I didn't hear from her again, I had all these negative thought processes about how I must have screwed up. And now she's scared of Reiki and she's never going to practice. I met her again 10 years later, a couple of years ago. And she was now a Reiki master who had a practice that I had planted the seed for her to continue her education, but she had to move away from town. And so all of my fears and belief were washed away in that moment because so it's, it's so much like sometimes it has nothing to do with the practitioner. It's about the space and the spiritual connection made of letting like, I'm showing up. I'm just showing like, that's how I usually do my attunements. Okay. I'm here (laughs) do what you need to do. Here's my hands and letting that be a clear uh, conduit experience for the transmission to happen. But as long as I'm getting out of the way, but even when I was getting in my way, it still worked. The attunement happened. And, you know, she didn't do the level two with me, but I, it, it was all in my head about you know, this must've not worked well. Right. And so, um, it was one of my first lessons of like thinking too much about it and going, okay, I'm going to practice and I'm gonna get better. And I'm going to have this a little more down. And we all got to start somewhere at the same time. And so just knowing that putting your faith in Reiki Reiki is Reiki is Reiki, and it knows what it needs to do. And it knows what your intention is. It's going to be what it needs to be for the client, for the student. And we can just be nice to ourselves. (laughs) Like we can kind of not, like, I don't worry about it anymore. Like I don't get attached if my student didn't have the best perfect experience or had, you know, if they had some type of reaction, it was like, no, that is exactly the experience that they were meant to have. So, um, and that's a lovely place to be because now I don't have to over criticize or judge myself.
1: Well, when my Reiki journey started, I very much was holding space, doing my practice, experiencing these things. And I'm definitely not ashamed to say this from a very egotistical perspective. And I still could be from an egotistical perspective. But I remember at the beginning, you know, when you put your hands on Anahata, for instance, on the heart chakra. I mean, you can feel it. And looking back retrospectively on these experiences, you know, like in Shodan and in the initial understanding of, of Usuri Reiki Roho, we talk about a 21 day hands on healing where you're getting to know yourself and getting to know the energy and these things, right? So as you're holding that space, I think it's actually quite important and quite beautiful to be egotistical here. Because in, in reality, like, you know, if I imagine this, and I've had a client, this is a Still, it's, it's sad to this day. I had a client that I was working on. Uh, I had my hands over her heart. And she very realistically got a stigmata, on, you know, which is like the energy burnt her chest. Not my energy, by the way, her energy. Reiki is not like I'm holding space. Her energy came out and gave her a, a symbol of her own divinity, of her own nature. She's a Catholic. And so it presented in a way that her Catholicism would kind of like, come on, you're on the right path. Keep going. This is awesome. She freaked out and and pulled away from it and wouldn't come back because it was too intense. Now, why am I saying that? Because in those 21 days of feeling into the self, the ego softens, you know, initially it's like, Oh my God, there's your heart. Like, I can feel it beating. I can feel it moving. I can move my muscles and individual tendons and whatever. And that gives space for the ego to just be like it's okay you can let go a little bit more and relax a little bit deeper and relax a little bit deeper so now my seated practice and when i'm working with clients is as best as i can and some days it's much easier than others but it's it's the hand placements are irrelevant the breathing is takes over on its own path and its own kind of rhythm and i just hold the space and any time that my mind becomes cluttered or becomes kind of like I start thinking about even my practice or whatever, then I might do something like chanting the symbols or whatever. And that's not about chanting the symbols for what they mean. It's about chanting the symbols to bring my body back into that focus of the connection to the energy. You know, from the West, we talk quite a lot about things like chokure, sehiki, honjase shone, and komyo. All of those things have these very specific meanings. And it's interesting to me when people are like, oh, I'm going to use Chokure to make the energy stronger. Well, I mean, did you create the energy? Like, well, how can can you wield a symbol that makes universal energy more powerful? Are you Shiva? Like, is that, because that's incredible. (laughs) If you can do that, that's amazing. From an Eastern perspective, we use Chokure on the lower belly so that the energy, we become aware of the energy moving up and down the body and why it becomes stronger is because our resistance fades. And so we become more aware of the energy and less aware of our resistance. You know, so that's where I like to, I try to stay. And for me, and again, this is why I said, um, it's my ego is still here. And, and And that's fine. This is the biggest task we all have to try to the cessation of the ego. I mean, this is the whole point, but when I'm in a, a session on myself or with others, and I have my hands on the body, there'll be some moments where I feel as if I've just completely shut down. And to be fair, I'm sure that it looks like I'm asleep. I'm not asleep. And maybe some of you know what I'm what I'm speaking of, this kind of pure detached space, neutral space. And when I'm in that space, I'm just kind of slouched over and my hands just move. And this echoes to what Christine was talking about earlier, where the energies kind of communicate and heal, right? Now, why I think, why I want to bring that up is it's because in that space, I have as little resistance as I think at my stage in development that I'm, that I'm able to have. So that energy is flowing. And I quite often explain it as like, you know, your energy is flowing, my energy is flowing and your energy is just kind of telling my hands where to go. Cause I feel like my hands just start to be moved. And now why is that important? Because the way that I teach as to why Reiki heals, and this is further answering your question there, Eric, if my hands are on my heart and the rest of my entire body is kind of neutral or, or still, right? And think about really what's happening. My, I can't feel my legs. I'm not aware of my thoughts. I'm not aware of my neck or anything else, but my body is still aware of the tactile sensation of my fingers and my hands on my My sweater, for instance, right? So my brain via the nervous system and via the the energy, which is Reiki, traveling the nervous system is able to focus on just that part of the body. So it's able to make like a what I say in my classes is it's able to make a more efficient line of communication to that particular energy center. And by doing so, then it can just be like, hold hold on a second. These arteries are way too clogged. What's going on here? Like I didn't realize this. Why didn't the brain realize that? Because all of the muscles, all of the constriction on the nervous system, everything else that's impeding that flow of energy through the nervous system, it can't connect to the brain. So there's inefficient communication in the body. So if my hand, if I'm able to hold space as neutral as possible, without me thinking about anything or whatever, and I just let my my hands be guided, then you know, if Eric, if you were my client, You might have something like, maybe you need to work on your kidneys. Maybe you need to release some fear from your childhood or whatever it might be. My hands might go to your lower belly. And then you, because you're in a relaxed state, realize that there's some sort of sensation on the lower belly. Your brain goes to that part of the body. It starts to scan everything there. Just like if I was to say to feel your right foot, you can start to feel your right toes, you know, or whatever uniquely. So then it starts to figure out, well, now there's inflammation in the kidneys. What are we going to do about that? Or, this is when an emotion comes up. And the Chinese com- connection to all of this is that, you know, there's emotions and there's things that are tied to each of the organs and other chakras and all of these types of things, right? So, that's kind of that stillness and that space that I try to get into in my own practice and with my clients because it's the more we can get out of the way, then the more that that truth will flow.
0: Yeah. I think the longer you practice, especially with other clients, you soon to really get clear on. When I just get out of the way, the session is great. (laughs) Like, I don't want to know anything about my clients when they come lay on the table. Like if it's a Reiki session, I want to know as little as possible. And just because then my ego will get attached to their story. And I think I'll know where to put my hands versus I, if I can get them on the table and I can just let the energy guide where my hands need to go, it will tell me everything I need to know. The Reiki itself will tell me where my hands need to go where the issues are in the body. If I need to get a visual or an auditory something, it will come organically. I don't have to ask or try to retrieve. I don't have to try anymore. And that's the beauty of when you have really become a clear conduit, when you've done your self-care practice, when you've done, you know, if you have a daily practice of Reiki, of meditation, it you can separate your, you know, connected mind to source and from like your own personal thoughts. And so this is, I think this is the uniqueness about, it doesn't matter which modality you come from, which lineage you come from, this is the end goal is when we can get out of our own way and we can recognize all I have to do is get out of my own way to be a clear conduit to have really amazing sessions. And so um, with that, um, is there anything that you say to prepare your client in advance, to prepare them, to make them aware that they may have experiences? And from my point of view, I usually tell them, you know, you may laugh, you may cry, you may feel sensations in your body, anything and everything is okay. In this space, this is your time to experience Reiki. And if you need to sit up, if you need to take a break and go to the bathroom, like whatever comes up is totally okay with you. Most clients have this as a calm, peaceful time where they can rest or relax. And then they kind of have a feeling. Well, if I start crying, it's okay. If I start laughing, it's okay. Like anything i've seen people get angry i've seen i've seen all kinds of emotions i've seen you know entities jump out of the body i've seen all kinds of stuff at this point and part of it is just creating that space where the client can fully relax so that whatever needs to happen can happen do you want to answer that one from your point of view bruce
1: yeah absolutely and interestingly enough i think as well that jumps back to some another point in eric's question like if we are able to and you know this client here if they're crying or if they're i've had people who are are as real as i could possibly kind of profess to that they're they're in another dimension and they're speaking in tongues they're seeing another whatever i mean as we soften that internal resistance as we get down to that core then we start to see see things objectively all of us have trauma all of us have things we're trying to heal from this is not a competition. Everybody has you know, baggage that they wanna release. We can either release that in its objectivity or we can release that with emotion. And with emotion becomes ego and becomes resistance and becomes all of this pain and suffering. If we can do things objectively, then we're really just looking at it for what it is. This is the idea in Buddhism of being in the moment, which I'm gonna be speaking about next week, actually. So if we are in that space of the moment, then yeah. Okay. So, you know, maybe you've got a really bad childhood or whatever. Okay. So in that space of the moment, and like Christine's client was saying, you start crying and you're feeling it. Well, that's it actually coming out of the body. But when we're not in the moment, when we have all of these stories and nuances around us, then that energy is still in us, but it's hitting all of these things that all of these shields and protections that we've put up to keep that energy at bay. When I'm in that space of the moment, and I would encourage all of you to try this. If you get still and quiet, hand placements or whatever, it doesn't matter, still and quiet, and when you feel nothing or really balanced, then you simply ask a rhetorical question like, what am I meant to let go of? How can I release? Help me understand, something like that. See, you're talking to that energy, you're talking to that inner self, and that's what this client, the the question here, without verbal communication, the Reiki session is almost like what can this person let go of? We're going to create a space where it can pour out. Yeah. Without nuance, without you know, attachments or belief systems, just get it out of the body.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's um that's where the t- it doesn't matter what lineage you come from or what frequency is available to you by your special lineage. <laughs> um, the Reiki session itself if you're getting out of the way, Reiki is Reiki is Reiki, energy is energy is energy. Yeah. And um, that's the goal, right? Is yeah. to get out of the way so that the Reiki can move, bring your own chi into harmony, body, mind, and spirit, subconscious versus conscious, super conscious, like whatever needs to be healed will be healed. And from a very, you know, my My, the way I do things is very Western in that I'm doing Reiki, uh, meaning that I might give clients homework afterwards, or I kind of combined it with some coaching. Oftentimes, because when this, when I do the coaching, most Americans, at least the clients that I've had, they want to be proactive, they want to know step one, step two, step three, <laughs> if I go, just go meditate a half an hour every day, they're not gonna do it, <laughs> right? Like that's that's like way, they can't even comprehend that. And so, but if I say, hey, go do something that your inner child would like to do, what was your favorite activity as a kid? And they would be like, baking. I'm like, great, this week, your homework is to bake and embrace your inner child. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, okay, next session, I'm gonna ask you about it. So make sure you do it. Like that is like the biggest um Western difference that I think I have is that I definitely bring in like some here's your next steps to healing <laughs> because they're looking for it. I mean, I don't please let me know if you have clients like that that are just like they want a homework assignment. They want something to do that's beyond um taking a class or not. Um, so I usually like to give my clients like a little little something, but not turning it into a counseling appointment. That is the big difference. There's a huge amount of Reiki practitioners out there that turn their hour session into a two hour session because they're talking for an hour. Like there is a time and place for consulting, but we have to remember to stay in our so- scope of pac- practice and remember that we're Reiki practitioners. We're doing Reiki. We're, we're supposed to be the you know experts on energy, on chi and not nutrition, not essential oils, unless you have specific training on that. <laughs> Um, so yeah. that's kind of one of my big uh, annoyance. Well, I don't know if I would call it annoyances, but like we have to be careful about what we say to people. Like, oh, eat raw ginger; that will help your digestion. But you have no idea what's going on in their gut, and that could be harmful because it's coming from a place of ego. I wanted to help you so bad, so here's five suggestions. <laughs> so that's, that happens yeah, that's time.
1: and we never know what's going to come out from our clients, right? And this is what I was alluding to earlier, that um, you could almost view us as as Reiki practitioners as almost like therapists in the sense that stuff's going to come out. And I've heard this way too many times, and I've actually seen it, sadly, way too many times, where when those things come out, the practitioner is too much in the eye, like I did, I brought that out. So let me help guide you through your Molestation, your your really raw trauma that has just come out of your body. I'm now going to be the shepherd that brings you through that thing. Okay, but this is this is incredibly dangerous because in that space of rawness, of course, everybody wants to do the right thing and help. I don't think people are nefarious like that in particular, but I think a lot of people very quickly lose track of the understanding or the the the, the humbleness that. Of, under, of knowing that in that space, we can do way more harm than we can do good. Mm-hmm. you know. So when I had people, that's again, what, thank God it was one of the benefits of being at the Vitality Center because when these things would come out, then I would say, okay, this is out of my expertise. Next door, we have a hypnotherapist. I would suggest you book a session with them and dive into that right now or go see the acupuncturist or the osteopath or whatever to continue working on that in their hands, of, in their expertise. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's a serious position.
0: All the time, you know, I would have a handful of therapists that I would refer to, and they would refer back to me because they knew that the Reiki sessions in combination with counseling would be more effective than counseling alone. So they would come to me first, I'd bring all their stuff to the surface, and then they'd go off to their counseling appointment. Um, so. Figure out like if you were, have a practice. I love to have a rolodex of all of the different practitioners in town with their all their own special you know uh, practices that I could refer to um, because at one then you're creating a community of healers that can support one another. So oftentimes if someone came to me and they had cancer, well, guess what? I'm going to be working with the hospice team and their doctor team. And like when I can work with other practitioners, they're going to see my practice and they're, I'm going to get more referrals because they're going to respect me as a practitioner who stays in my scope of practice. So yes, it's great networking to refer. Um, and then I don't have the liability of trying to be a licensed counselor when I'm not, right? Like, I don't want to do that.
1: <laughs> you know, and everybody here, like you've probably all heard the precepts, right? So remember, just for today, I will do my work honestly. Okay, well, the honest thing to do would be your client comes up like, oh my God, I just saw that I was molested when I was six. Oh my God, oh my God. Okay, so I can't help you with that because I'm not trained to do that. I need to refer you immediately to somebody who can hold that space correctly, right? And I see this is in the holistic world <clears throat> to a T tea. yoga teachers, meditation, teachers, breathwork teachers, all of that are usually so eager to wear as many hats as possible and explain things and hold people and do all this stuff where they don't really know what's going on with it. So just for today, I'll do my work honestly, right. And be kind and be grateful, right. All of those things are me, like come back in like Nico said in the chat, there's no giver and there's no receiver. So if there's no giver and there's no receiver, then the person who is experiencing that trauma, you're with them in that space, but you're not you can't guide them because you're not a therapist, you know, you're not unless you are. Maybe some maybe some of you are psychotherapists. Well then that's awesome.
0: Yeah, then it's great. Like I yeah. love having students in my Reiki classes that are psychologists and counselors and lawyers and all of the things like this is the beauty of why reiki needs to continue to spread we need more practitioners out there because all the professions if they had reiki behind them especially in the healing modalities it's going to bring you know more to their practice even if they are western doctors if they understood reiki that how it could support them in their own modality of Western medicine. Like that's great. Um, and so, yes, we are a huge proponent of (laughs) like, let's keep spreading Reiki. Let's keep training. Let's keep understanding. And on that note, you know, Reiki cafe university always has classes available for level one and two. It's a combination of live pre-recorded material distance attunements, and it's really comprehensive. Plus you get once a month, we have a support group for students. So Bruce or I will lead that support group once a month. And this is, I haven't seen anyone else do this. Like, okay, if you take a level one or level two class, you get one year of support calls. So that means that for a whole year, we follow your Reiki journey. We want to make sure that you're understanding and incorporating and doing the self-care work and then when you start working on others that if you have questions you have some place to come in a private setting right and then um we also bruce and i are going to be teaching the reiki master's class here right around the corner but bruce has a uh reiki master's class retreat in france coming up next weekend correct uh it's
1: coming up on wednesday
0: yeah <gasps> oh my god at So, she the so 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 just happened fine. to be in france <laughs> <laughs> uh, really looking forward to knowing how that goes. Cause one day we hope to do that together, um, on his retreat center in France. Um, but we do have a Reiki masters. That's going to be, um, seven weeks and seven sessions, about seven weeks in length coming up in April. So if you are interested in that, that will be online. It's a deep dive, um, looking at all of the Reiki things, um, including, you know, meditations and the, all the symbols will be reviewed. So if you feel like you aren't quite sure about level two, you are practicing, but you're, you have missed education, we're going to do a, a really in-depth review, understanding Reiki and how Buddhism like has gotten inter- was intertwined with it um, and have lots of support and uh, joint classes. Like we're going to do a joint class on attunement process, learning the Eastern and the Western. So you'll get two attunements, two teachers. Um, It's going to be awesome. So if that is something that you are ready for, let me know. Um, I think we're going to do it for $1,500. And um, we just need to decide on like payment plans and those kind of things. But we are going to be announcing that here soon. Um, But I wanted to give everyone a chance to uh, meet Bruce. He's going to be doing another webinar on. Go ahead and tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So one thing that, um, that I'm really diving into at the moment and, and in my Reiki practice and in the readings that I have uh, one, I'll just show you very quickly that I recommend is this amazing book. Each moment is the universe by Danin Katagari. So, you know, what this is, the whole talk is going to be all about that moment and about existing in that moment. And one thing that came up, and I'm going to dive into this really deeply, but one thing that came up in a Reiki meditation that I was doing was seeing the kind of context as it made sense to me. I'm not saying that this is right, but as it made sense to me that in that moment, we just exist. And the past, you can view it as like a, all of the past behind us and all of the future in front of us but all of that simultaneously exists in that moment. There is no past and there is no future. And those moments are instantaneous. So it was a big dive and a big kind of like, uh, I wanna say almost like a clear audience discussion about in each moment, we can choose to put that chi or that energy into different tangential outcomes of then what will become the future. So it's all going to be a discussion on how to live in the moment, how to be in the stillness of the moment, and if we can arrive at that place in that stillness, then we become the architects of our entire life because we can move. You know, imagine if we could just freeze frame everything right now and unplug from all our conditioning and then put that energy into the paths that we want. This is the power of manifestation. It's deja vu, it's all of these types of things because that's the way our energy or our chi is flowing. And the reason there's so much resistance to this is because we're not understanding how to live in the moment. And so that's what the entire talk is uh, next week. It's free for everybody. And it's a deep dive into the past, present, and the future, how all of those simultaneously exist in the moment and how that influences our Reiki practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Well, thank you everyone for coming and taking your afternoon, morning, evening, whatever it may be for you with us. So thank you so much for being part of the Reiki Cafe University. We would not be this group of diverse practitioners if it wasn't for your presence. So thank you so much for being here. Keep asking questions in the Reiki Cafe community and reach out if you need support, if you need classes, if you need sessions, whatever it may be, we're here for you guys. So thank you so much. Love and light to all. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Reiki Cafe Radio is sponsored by Reiki Cafe University, where your Reiki dreams become reality. Join us on Instagram or Facebook at Reiki Cafe University. Watch our videos on YouTube or visit the website to learn more about our colleges of Reiki chakras and
1: business. It is our aim to help you on your path to wellness, guiding you into confidence, transmute your inner critic, and say yes to you. Your path to abundance, wellness, and health unfolds from here.
0: And love and light, Christine Renee.
1: And Bruce Taylor.